Well, this morning we're making a significant shift here in the middle of our Out of the Shadows series. Right? We're spending four weeks looking at, at women in the Bible that God uses profoundly, but whose stories usually stay hidden in the shadows. Right? And, and they provide vital lessons for us because like them, honestly, most of us live in the shadows, don't we? We're, we don't often take center stage in world events. We're regular people whose names aren't often in the headlines of the paper. But if we are followers of Jesus Christ, to be a disciple of his, as we say that we are, that means God will pull us as regular people out from the shadows where we like to hide, and he will place us on his stage. He will drop us into the spotlight, and he will use all of us, regular folk, to accomplish his kingdom purposes right where he's placed us. So it's important for us to learn from these in-the-shadow women as we can learn for our lives. And so two weeks ago, if you were here, we learned from, from Sapphira and Pua, the Hebrew midwives who rescued Moses. We, we've learned to have the courage to stand for God and to boldly follow his call, no matter where it takes us, and no matter what the cost might be. Last week, we learned from Deborah, Deborah, the only female judge and prophet, remember? And she taught us how to do two things, how to first of all listen very carefully to God so that then we can boldly act. Listen and act. Well, our shift this morning moves us away from the Old Testament where women in the spotlight were the exception, and it moves us to the New Testament where Jesus himself regularly brings women to the center stage. If you read through the Gospels, especially the book of Luke, you'll find that, that Jesus regularly brings women into his ministry in positive and important ways. And Jesus' inclusion of women in ministry not only gives us a concrete picture of the equality that God brings to all people through the new covenant that Jesus establishes, but he also establishes a new social norm by giving women a positive place in the New Testament church that you can read all through the book of Acts. So this morning, we're going to bring a trio of women to center stage, out of the shadows and into the spotlight, because Jesus brought them out of the shadows into the spotlight. So take out your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8 in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. Now my guess is, from Luke chapter 8 here that very few of you have ever heard a sermon on these women before. Maybe some of you have, but probably not many because we aren't given much detail into their lives. We don't get to hear them speak very much. In fact, in these verses, they won't speak at all. And we know very little about who they were, but we do know enough to learn a very profound lesson about power from them. And so meet these three women, verses 1 through 3 of Luke 8. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chazah the manager of Herod's household, 
Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. We're going to stop right there, even though most often when you read Luke 8, you keep on going, right? Because usually in Luke 8, we breeze past these three, first three verses so that we can get to the cool story of the parable of the sower that starts in the very next verse, right? That's the story, Jesus' parable that he tells about the farmer scattering seed, and, and some seed falls on the path and is trampled, and some seed is eaten by the birds, and some seed lands on rocky ground, and some among the weeds, and some lands in good soil and, and grows a huge harvest, Right? I bet most of us have heard a sermon or seven or 17 on that chapter, that part of the chapter. But Luke's original readers wouldn't have skimmed over verses two and three. They would have stopped to talk about those verses. Because in this first century culture, where women played invisible roles, the fact that Luke mentions these three women, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Susanna, is nothing short of amazing. You see, Jesus is breaking new cultural ground here by empowering women. He grants them the power of respect and honor and value, intentionally including them in his group of traveling disciples. You see, Jesus, remember, is a traveling rabbi. And, and that's not unique. <laughs> there were plenty of traveling rabbis in that day teaching the Torah wherever they went. But this was a man's world where rabbis refused to teach women because they were considered to be inferior. Women did not travel with the rabbis, and women certainly were not allowed to become disciples. And here, in these two verses... We're told that Jesus welcomed Mary. He welcomed Joanna. He welcomed Susanna and many others into his traveling band of disciples. That, that and many others shows that these three were not the exception. This was the rule. This is the way Jesus worked. Jesus dared to be countercultural when it came to honoring all people and welcoming them into his kingdom purposes. Why did Jesus do that? Why step into that kind of controversy? Well, he did that because he lived and did ministry with a wider kingdom perspective. He was beginning already to implement the kingdom of God here on earth where... In Christ Jesus, all children of, we are all children of God through faith. For all who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. And there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. He's living that out even before Paul has a chance to write it. He's making reality out of the Old Testament prophecy of Joel where God promises that I'm going to pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Well, those days that Joel points ahead to, those days arrived when Jesus arrived. And Jesus dares to go up against the cultural expectations. 
and grant these women respect and honor and kingdom power. And they receive it. They, they take their stand with Jesus because they are living with a deep, deep sense of gratitude. Because they have experienced the power of Jesus themselves. Right? Verse 2. Verse 2 tells us that they had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. These women, their lives had been changed and transformed by Jesus Christ. In a very rare, real and literal way, they had been given new life by Jesus himself. They had been healed. We don't know what diseases Joanna and Susanna had struggled with and been freed from, but we do know that Mary had been healed seven times from demons and the, the mental and physical disorders that come with that, right? All of them had experienced some very significant healing of some sort. And now because of that, out of gratitude for the new life that they had been given, a new lease on life, they dedicate themselves to Jesus at a cost. At a cost. Because nobody stands against accepted social norms without paying a high price. Right? Just ask the Little Rock Nine or the Freedom Riders and any other civil rights activists who stood up against racism. They paid a high, high price. Some of them paid with their lives. Well, what did it cost these women to stand and follow Jesus? To be women disciples traveling from town to town, city to city, being taught by a rabbi. What did it cost them? We have no idea. It doesn't tell us because it didn't matter. Because to them, no price was too high to pay. Right? They owed their very lives to him. Their gratitude could never be exhausted. Whatever price they paid wasn't worth writing down because it was never too much. Let me pause here a moment and ask you, does that story sound at all familiar to you? Can you see your life in theirs? Because their story is your story, and it's my story. Think about it. These women, they were broken, they were sick, they were doomed, they were dying, until Jesus came and healed them and gave them new life again. Life that they hadn't earned, they hadn't deserved, but they were given anyways. And now they are completely sold out for him. Wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him, as our catechism tells us, right? That's my story. That's your story. That's our Romans 5 verse 8 story. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We were broken. We were sick. We were doomed by our sin. And Jesus comes and he gives us new life again. Not because we've earned it. Not because we deserve it. But because that's what he does for the people he loves. 
and he gives us a new lease on life. And now we too should be completely sold out for him, wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. No price is too high to pay. No risk is too great to take. No cost is too much. Because we owe our very lives to him. I guess some of us will say, yeah, Tony, but you're talking about spiritual healing. They experienced miraculous physical healing. They saw a miracle. They aren't the same thing. I'll say, yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. They're not the same thing. Because the saving work of Jesus Christ that he accomplished on the cross and the empty tomb, no, it's not the same as miraculous physical healing. It's so much better. It is so much more. And if these women are motivated by gratitude to give their whole lives back to Jesus, how much more should we be motivated? We should be giving everything we are and everything we have. No cost too high. No risk too great. Out of gratitude for what he's done for us. And if there is any limit to your gratitude for what Jesus has done for you, if there is a, a, a cost that, yes, crosses that too high barrier, Jesus, you can ask me for this, but don't go above there. If there is any risk too great for you to take for the cause of Jesus Christ, then perhaps it's time to stop for a moment. And have a spiritual reality check again. Perhaps it's been too long since you've realized just how powerless you were and how powerless you still are. Perhaps it's been too long since you've realized how profound the saving and transforming power that you have received in Jesus Christ is. Maybe it's time to stop and remember that again. Because when you truly become aware of the power of the cross, and don't just sing those words empty flippantly, when you're aware of the power of the cross in your life, when you're, when you're truly aware of the power of the empty tomb to save you, to rescue you from death, to give you life now and for eternity, when you comprehend that even a little bit, then no price is too high to pay to express your gratitude. None. These women receive the life-giving power of Jesus Christ, and then they model for us the right response. A life overflowing with limitless gratitude for the gift that Jesus Christ has given to you. And these women recognized true power. They recognized true power when they saw it, when they experienced it. I'm fascinated by, by the little bit we know about Joanna and what it tells us. All we're told about her is that she was the wife of Chuzza, 
the manager of Herod's household. What a great name, Chuzza. I wish I would have named my son Chuzza. That's a great name. Okay, that, that's not a lot of information to go on. She's the wife of Chuzza, manager of Herod's household. But from that fact, we can, we can be certain that she knew power when she saw it because she saw it every day. Her husband was a highly trusted employee in Herod Antipas's court. In fact, he may have been in charge of one of Herod's whole estates. Chaza ran in circles of power and Joanna ran there with him. Herod Antipas. Okay, he was, remember Herod the Great? He ruled over all of Israel when Jesus was born. When Herod the Great died, he divided, the, the territory was divided between the three brothers. And Herod Antipas got the, the northern region of Galilee and the eastern region as well, called Perea. Okay, and this Herod, because they're all named Herod with different second names, Herod Antipas. This is the one who beheaded John the Baptist earlier. Okay, this is the one that, that when Pilate, remember at Jesus' trial, Pilate doesn't really want to condemn Jesus, so he tries to, to pass him off, and it says he sends him over to Herod, hoping that Herod will take care of this whole mess. He sends him to Herod Antipas. This is the Herod that he sends him to, and, and Herod, when Jesus won't perform for him, sends him back to Pilate, right? This is the Herod who shows you a picture of earthly power. If you, if you want to know what power looks like, look no further than him. Herod, whose word was law, right? He says the word and your head can be delivered on a platter. Whose wealth was immense. Whose subjects were, were frighteningly obedient. Whose life had all the comforts that anyone could desire. And Joanna had a front row seat to view that power. And yet, she chose Jesus. Jesus, a traveling preacher who had no home. A traveling preacher whose words were debated wherever he went, not listened to and obeyed. Jesus, whose wealth was non-existent. He had nothing. Jesus, whose followers were low-class fishermen. And Jesus, whose comforts in life were uncomfortable at best. Joanna still chooses Jesus because she recognized true power. She recognized the power to give life in the face of death because she experienced it. She recognized in him the power to heal a broken heart. She recognized in him the power to bring hope into somebody's hopelessness. She recognized in him the power to give freedom and forgiveness the power to give meaningful, true joy in life. The kinds of things that Herod's palaces and Herod's power could never provide. She knew power. And in Jesus, she knew that she was looking at true power. 
and yet here we are 2,000 years later and you and I still get confused don't we? we we have a hard time seeing where true power lies so we spend all of our lives trying to build up our bank accounts convinced that our money will have the power to bring us security and we buy the cottage and we build the house and we upgrade the car convinced that our possessions have the power to bring us satisfaction in life. And we take the cruise and we travel the country and we celebrate the, the sports victories and we drink all the drinks. Convinced that happiness has the power to bring us true joy. And we follow our own desires and we make our own choices and we shape our own lives according to our own plans. Convinced that, that we have the power to bring fulfillment and to decide what's best in life. You and I continue to choose the power of Herod. We take his side at the cost, at the cost of leaving behind the true power of Jesus, leaving behind true security that he gives, leaving behind true joy that he gives leaving behind true satisfaction that he gives, leaving behind true contentment that only he has the power to give. Joanna recognized the difference. She recognized true power, and she walked away from the palace of Herod. And instead, she walked the dusty roads with Jesus. And as she walked with Jesus, she, along with these other women, they find ways to use their power for Jesus. Verse 3 ends by telling us that these women were helping to support them, the disciples and Jesus, out of their own means. We don't know exactly how much these women contributed to the daily needs of Jesus and his disciples, but it's clear that some of them, Joanna included, were able to to contribute significant funds to supply the needs of Jesus' ministry. We don't know how much, but what we do know is that their gratitude led them to do whatever they could, whatever they could, whatever little bit of power they had to use it for the ministry of Jesus Christ. The deep gratitude they experienced resulted in a willing and eager desire to serve. Gratitude for them wasn't just an emotion. wasn't just a feeling. It was an action. And we're going to learn together next week as we shine the spotlight on another overlooked New Testament woman. We're going to learn how each of us can learn to express that gratitude as well. And I think next week you might be both surprised and encouraged by what we learned together. So this group of women, Joanna, Mary, Susanna, the unnamed others along with them, they're shadow characters, aren't they? They don't get a whole lot of our attention. And yet, before we dismiss them too quickly, before you think in the back of your mind, and I'm just another preacher trying to get creative preaching on somebody that you never hear about. 
consider this. At the moment in history, when God turns the spotlight the brightest, when the stage is set for the most important act ever in history, when the curtains part and the lights blaze on, chasing away the darkness, at that moment, who do you think God places center stage? Well, let's find out. If you have your Bibles open, turn to Luke 24. If you don't, you can just listen if you wish. Either way is just fine. Luke 24. The lights come up on God's grand stage at the pinnacle of time and eternity. Look at who's there. Luke 24. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly, two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, and the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you when he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to, to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them, who told this to the apostles. They did not believe the women because their words seemed like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. The lights come up, and here are Mary Magdalene and Joanna and all the other women gathered with them. God takes them out of the shadows and he places them on center stage at the greatest moment in history. The ones who received power, who recognized true power, who used their power for God's kingdom purposes, they're now the ones who witness Jesus' resurrection power. And we can too. They're the ones who witness God's life-changing, world-changing, eternal, eternity-changing power. And we can too. We can witness Jesus, God's transformational power in the resurrection. We can see it in ourselves. When we're changed, forgiven and set free. We can see it in each other when they're changed, forgiven and set free. We can see it in our world as our world is transformed for the cause of Jesus Christ. We can receive and recognize true power 
of Jesus to save and transform. Just like Mary did. Just like Joanna did. Just like Susan did. Choose true power. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you for your amazing power. Your power that changes everything. It changes history. It changes the future. It changes eternity. And it changes me. It changes each one of us here. Forgive us when we choose false power. The power that we think will bring us satisfaction and happiness and joy and fulfillment and we leave you behind. Father, may we have enough gratitude. Kindle that fire of gratitude in our hearts so that we will see where true power lies. And we will give our all to you because you have given your all for us. Thank you for loving us that much, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.